All right, well, welcome to Creekside Church. This place just keeps getting fuller every time I stand up here, not because of me, but just because of every week. Um, Most of y'all thought Jake was preaching, but we pulled an audible halfway through the week, so um, I knew we'd have a big crowd today. Um, I used to lead a chapel service at a juvenile detention detention center. You know where that Home Depot is on Bush, Bush Boulevard and kind of Florida, Nebraska right there. Um, there's a juvenile detention center, kind of holding center right behind there. Um, any juvenile who gets arrested in Hillsborough County, actually all, probably all the surrounding counties, if they think there's alcohol or drugs or something involved where they need to be evaluated, they take them to that little holding center for probably five to seven days just so they can assess, does this juvenile need to go to court, maybe need to go back to their parents, need to go to rehab. There's, you know, different things that they try to assess. And we would come in every week and lead a chapel. So we have a different set of kids every week. And it was a state run facility, but we could, we had freedom to do whatever we wanted to do. So it's a pretty cool opportunity because you had a new set of faces every week. I mean, you would like to have had the ongoing relationship, but it was still nice to have you know, different, different kids every week. But I remember we went there one time and there was this kid who sat there like this. I mean, you know, it's, I wouldn't want to be preached at if I was being arrested and, you know, taken somewhere. I mean, put yourself in their shoes. Most of those kids, at least by their own profession, didn't go to church and didn't want anything to do with God. And so you'd sit there and every week, it was crazy, but every week you'd start and everybody was like this. Everybody was mad. You know, everybody didn't want to be there, and everybody was, you know, a lot of F-bombs and stuff like that. And so, but then about 45 minutes in, an hour in, without fail, almost every single week, you had everybody's attention. Some of the kids started crying, and it was just, you could just see the, the walls beginning to come down as you were, you know, speaking through some of my testimony and some of the things I've been through and other people that would come with me. And it was just, it was an awesome experience. We did it probably three years. But I remember there was this one kid one time, and he sat there the whole time like this, just stone-faced, and he looked really mad, didn't want nothing to do with it. And so I didn't really, you know, I mean, we see those kind of kids every week, but he goes, he raised his hand at the end. I said, okay, does anybody have anything they want to share, anything you want to say? So he puts his hand up. He's like, I got something to say. I was like, all right, what's up? And he goes, it's really weird why you guys are here. And I was like, okay, you know, carry on. And we'll call him Mike. And he says, about six months ago, I was running late for the school bus. And if I had missed, I knew if I was late one more time from school, I would be suspended and probably lead to being expelled because I've been late so many times and already had in-school suspension, all that kind of stuff. So he said, I knew I needed to be in school, so I went to take the city bus. And he said, for some reason, the whole time I'm walking to the city bus... I have this thought in my head that nobody loves me. And he said, I don't know where it came from. Just, I just couldn't get the thought out of my head. Nobody loves me. Nobody loves me. You know, this, I can't believe it. My life sucks. You know, that kind of thing. And he says he gets, to, he gets to the bus and he gets on the city bus and he walks over and he just kind of sits down in the first seats he comes to, tears streaming down his face. And he said, bus stop probably a mile or two down the road and some little old lady gets on the bus. And she's just kind of walking down real slow down the aisle. And he said, she walks right past him and hands him a note like this. And it just keeps walking. Didn't say anything. Just keeps walking. And he said, he opened the note up and it said, Jesus loves you. And he was like, 
He's like, I, you know, I play football. I don't cry. I don't do these kind of things. And he said, but I, I didn't know what to do. So he said, I just kind of put it out of my head. Nothing else happened. She didn't say anything else. And we just keep moving on. And he said, then probably three months ago, I was going to smoke weed with some of my friends. And he said, this guy pulls up in a Cadillac. And he looks, rolls down his window and says, you want to go to church? And he was like, I've never seen this guy before. But he goes, I'd always heard about this church thing. He said, I didn't know much about it. But I was like, all right, I'll... You know, I'll go to church. So he said he went to church, and he said he could remember the guy, like when the preacher, when the preacher started, he remembered exactly what he said. He remembered it was in Psalms, and he said, I still remember to this day the verses that that pastor read as he sat up there on stage. He said, but then I left. I didn't know the guy. You know, we kind of parted ways. We had lunch, but then after that, I didn't, you know, he wasn't in my neighborhood. So he said, I just put it out of my mind, out of sight, out of mind, forgot about it. And then he said, last night, I was going to do the same thing with my friends. He said, I got arrested. I got brought here. And he said, and for the first time in my life, he said, I'm laying on my bed. And he points to where the little bedroom was, where the cot was. And he says, I'm laying over there in my cell or whatever you want to call it. And he said, for the first time in my life, I prayed. He said, I don't even know how to pray. But I just prayed. And I was like, God, people pray to you. Supposedly, you answer prayers. Supposedly, you're real. Here's what I'm going through. I want to understand more. I want to understand more about what you do. I want to understand more about how you help. Like, I don't know any of this, but I know that people pray and I know you answer prayer. And he said he left at that. He said he went to bed, like, you know, opened his eyes and expected something to happen. You know, looked around waiting for the door to like, throw open. He said nothing happened. So he said he just like, whatever. And so he goes to sleep. He wakes up watching football. And then we roll in. His words. He said, then in rolls the church group. And he said, but for the last hour, you guys have sat here and told me how God loves me. And you explained to me exactly what it means to have a relationship with God. And how God brings peace and joy. And it's a different kind of joy maybe than you get in the world, but it's joy. And it's satisfaction in a relationship with him. And he said, you know, I didn't know whether you first came in, whether to be mad. I didn't know if I should be happy. He goes, but this, I will never forget this day. And that's what he said. And I will never forget that kid. Because it was, for me, it was truly a moment where I understood that God loves and God wants a relationship with everybody. Everybody. You know, here's a kid who skips school. He gets arrested. He smokes a lot of weed. You know, he doesn't, you know, all the things that you might put into a category of things that, you know, well, God doesn't want anything to do with that. And yet God is pursuing this kid week after week and month after month. All the, you know, and he may not even have realized it, but looking back, he can say, okay, there's that dot. There's that dot. There's that dot. And all these dots connect and they lead him to God. He does the same thing in your life and he does the same thing in my life because he's pursuing all of us for a relationship with him. But the legalistic side of my brain says, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, he's got to clean himself up first, right? Got to come to God clean. You can't come to God with a bunch of junk in your life. We all know that's not true. If we had to clean ourselves up first, we would fail. That's not happening. God is the one who works in our lives and cleans us up. And I think for me, that was just a really good explanation of, you know, as I think back on, I mean, what is love? What is God's love? How is God's love reflected? And, you know, I'm not saying that your sin doesn't grieve God. I'm not saying that sin doesn't hinder maybe a relationship with God or your walk with God. I realize there are implications there, but it will never, ever stop him from loving you. 
And as we continue through the book of John, there's a lot of themes in John about love. And, we've, and even in all of scripture, you see a picture of God's love from the very beginning to the very end. You see nothing but God's love. This morning we're going to continue our study through the book of John. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1. If you don't, all the verses are going to come right up here. You can turn it on your phone. Be browsing Instagram and I'll think you're on your Bible. Um, I was telling the other pastors this week that John chapter 1 is probably my favorite. It's probably my favorite chapter in the entire Bible. I know that sounds weird. There's a lot of other chapters in Bible and you know not many people will probably say John 1 is their favorite chapter in the entire Bible but if you read through the beginning of John and what we're going to read today especially I mean it's it's pretty mind-blowing all right he's an old man when he writes this most people think probably 40 50 years have gone by since Christ hung on the cross so you're you know you're looking at a wise soul somebody who has pondered the cross pondered his years with Jesus for a very, very long time. You know, you ever sat down with somebody who's just older, wiser, has a lot of wisdom? You know, I think of my granddad and just, it, he just doesn't get upset about the things I get upset about. He doesn't get his feathers ruffled by the things I get my feathers ruffled about because he's, he's lived life. There's wisdom in what's happening. There's wisdom in what he sees. And John, when he writes this, he says, I want you and I want me to understand and ponder the majesty of God. So John 1 is very technical. It's very seminary stylish when you read it. Um, but we're going we're gonna to jump on in and continue. Last week, Jake painted us a great picture of the first five verses. John 1, 1 through 5. So I'm going to read through those, and then we're just going to keep on going, and we're going to start in verse 6. So verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So this is our introduction to John the Baptist. Not to be confused with the John who wrote the book. So the John who wrote the book and John the Baptist are not the same person. Um, believe it or not, this John, John the Baptist, serves a very important role. And here's why. If you were Jewish, you were anticipating two individuals. Right? You didn't really maybe know or understand all that would be encompassed with those two individuals. But you were anticipating two individuals. The first is the Messiah. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, if not thousands, you've been, there's been this Messiah, Messiah that has been talked about in Scripture. And so you're waiting for this Messiah, a Savior who would deliver you from your enemies. And the other person you're waiting for was a forerunner to the Messiah. Okay, we don't, he doesn't get a lot of ink in Scripture, but if you were a Jewish individual, you were waiting for this forerunner to the Messiah, someone who would herald the arrival, someone who would come just before the Messiah to announce his arrival, almost like a king. You walk into you know, a king's presence, they might announce his presence if he's walking in. and I mean, That's the same kind of picture. So this forerunner would announce the arrival of the king. And over the years, even in the, something as simple as maybe the Jewish Passover feast, the Jews would sometimes leave an empty seat for this forerunner, sometimes they would pour a glass of wine and leave that glass of wine there 
kind of nobody touch it, nobody drink it. And the idea was the empty chair and the glass of wine, they were for the forerunner. They were like, all right, come on in, join us at the Passover feast because we know if you come in and you're here, that means the Messiah is right behind you. So we don't really understand the idea of the forerunner, but that's, that's why if you read the Gospels, you'll see John the Baptist talked about. That's why it seems like such an odd transition. John 1, in the beginning was the word and five verses and all of a sudden, boom, you go to John. And you're like, well, why don't we keep going about Jesus? Well, you jump to John because John wants you to understand that this is another fulfillment of a prophecy. And that's why you go to John. So if you go to, let's go 700 years before Christ, give or take, go to the book of Isaiah. Um, Isaiah 40, verse 3 says, A voice of one calling in the, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged place is a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So that was probably 700 years before Christ, give or take. And then if you go to the very last book of the Old Testament, which is Malachi right before the 400 years of silence, before the New Testament, Malachi gives us a little introduction. It says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So the Jews are waiting for this forerunner, who we know as John the Baptist, and who Jesus in the book of Matthew later confirms as John the Baptist. And the Jews are also waiting for a savior. A deliverer who will deliver them from bondage. So go to Isaiah real quick. I want to show you just a couple verses kind of foreshadowing this Messiah. All right, Isaiah chapter 7 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And even the name, if you look at the name, even the name paints a picture of what's to come because the name, the word, the name Emmanuel means God with us. So it's, it's giving this picture of God. It's already foreshadowing John, already foreshadowing the fact that God's going to come. He's going to be with us. He's going to stay with us. He's going to dwell with us. And then Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And, you know, some people, if you kind of throw in the Old Testament and show these prophecies, you kind of maybe lose traction a little bit, kind of, it gets maybe a little hard to understand all this. But what I want you to see is I want you to see that from the very beginning of time, that's why John starts his book by saying, in the beginning. This is something, this Messiah that was coming that's on the scene now, God dwelling with people, has been talked about since the beginning of time. This is not some blip on the radar. This is not something that just happened. The Jews were anticipating a Messiah. They were waiting. This is 700 years before Jesus came. And they're like, okay, is he here? Okay, is he here? Okay, is he here? So if you were in their shoes, it's hard for us to understand that. But if you were in their shoes, the anticipation just, you know, has this happened yet? Has this happened yet? So John starts with, in the beginning was the word. And then in John uh, 1.6, he says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And I love 
the role of John the Baptist. It says he came as a witness to the light. So let me ask you a question. Apparently I say that a lot. Um, let me ask you a question. Somebody who's giving me a hard time this week. Um, they're sitting over on that side of the room about the fact that I asked to say, let, let me ask you a question. But let me ask you a question. Um, are you a witness to the light? Do you look at your role as a believer, a follower of Christ, to be a witness to the light? Do you think of that as maybe a responsibility as a follower of Christ? Do, you look at, do people look at you and see Christ. If you look at John the Baptist, he was all about deflecting your attention to Christ. We're going to see that in the coming weeks. I mean, everything he said, don't look at me, look at him. Don't look at me, look at him. So is that the way you view your life? Matthew says, or Jesus says in the book of Matthew, this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' first sermons. And this is what he says. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and not glorify you, but glorify your Father in heaven. And then Jesus, right after his resurrection, appears to the first church in Acts 1.8 and he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be what? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, John's role and what we're hearing about now, John's role was to point people to Jesus. That was his role. He was the forerunner. He was pointing people ahead to Jesus. And as believers, our, our role is to point people to the risen Messiah who came on this earth. He walked among his creation, was eventually hung on a cross and rose again. And that's what we're going to celebrate next week. And we spend a lot of time, and rightfully so, Talking about the resurrection. Talking about the cross. Talking about the resurrection. But have you ever contemplated the magnitude of the fact that God came to earth? Have you ever sat and thought about that? I mean, hanging on the cross, that's, I mean, that's the most important thing. Rising from the dead, most important thing. But have you ever thought about the fact that he just came to earth? And he walked among his creation, born as a baby, stepped off his throne. Jake talked about it last week. Walked into time and then walked in our shoes. All right, we're going to come back to verse 10, but I want you to skip forward to verse 14 just to continue this thought. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. All right, that's, that's right there, one of, the, one of the reasons I love this chapter so much. Those first words, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The he- heavens celebrated this long-awaited day. Angels announced his arrival to the shepherds, the heavenly hosts, saying, I mean, this, you know, we celebrated at Christmas time, but let's celebrate it at Easter time. I mean, this, this is the biggest deal of all time. God coming down to earth and walking amongst his people. Walking with his creation. Now in the beginning, if you go back to the garden, you read about the garden, God had fellowship with his people. He walked in the garden. He walked with Adam and Eve. I mean, he had this fellowship. He dwelt, if you want to use the same terminology, he dwelt with man in the garden. And then what happened? Sin. Right? They sinned and they, they were forced out of the garden and then away from his presence. 
They no longer walked with God. And God never dwelt with man in quite the same way. Now, if you read the Old Testament, we catch glimpses of God with his people, right? We catch these little glimpses. But they were brief. They were short-lived. They were veiled a lot of times. You just, they couldn't see everything there was about who God was. And, I mean, even Moses. Moses, God's in a burning bush, right? Then Moses goes to Mount Sinai, and he kind of catches a glimpse of God's back as he passes by, and, but they're, they're veiled. So think about all through the Old Testament, and you don't even have to know much of the Old Testament to think about this, all the times God's leading them by a cloud, leading them by fire as the Israelites, and all of a sudden, so this is their, this is their interaction with God. He spoke through the prophets. The word of the Lord came to so-and-so. The word of the Lord came to so-and-so. If you go through the prophets and open to the very first verse of almost every prophet in the scriptures, it will say, the word of the Lord came to so-and-so. So he's speaking through creation, speaking through his people, certain people, but he wasn't fully dwelling with his people. So what an amazing day that was. Like, appreciate, if you can, the magnitude. The world will never be the same. The world will never be the same. Jesus would walk with his creation. He was, would die for his creation. And then he would send his spirit into his creation. It's never the same again. All right? Think about that. It's a, it's a monumental shift in the relationship between God and man. A.W. Tozer says, he says, when he appeared as man, he appeared to dwell with men in person and to be united to men then ultimately to dwell in men forever through his Holy Spirit. Everyone has access to the creator of the universe through his spirit. That was never the case prior to this. It was never the case. And we, as followers of Christ, and even those of you who aren't followers of Christ, we have the, the ability, the right, to call ourselves children of God. And it says, so, and Native Tozer says, so it is with men and to men and in men that he came to dwell. From that moment, it's never the same. And the amazing thing is, we get a better understanding by reading the Gospels of who God is. We get a better understanding of the, the love of God, the, you know, the, the caringness of God, the grace of God. And if you keep reading, he says, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, and then what? Full of grace, and truth. Full of grace and truth. Now you gotta, you gotta think about that. You could easily pass over full of grace and truth. Sounds great. He's full of grace, full of truth. Big deal. All right. But these are very different ideas. All right. What's grace? Unmerited favor. Right? Sinners. We don't deserve a relationship with God. We're sinners. He's shown us grace. Grace says you're fine. Grace says you're okay. Grace says no matter what you do, I'm going to love you. You know, it doesn't matter what's happened. It's, you know, when you show grace to somebody else, you're showing them unmerited favor. You don't deserve this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to show you grace because I love you. I care about you. And then the other side, you got truth. Full of grace, full of truth. What's truth? Truth says you need to take responsibility for what you do. Truth is black and white. Truth is letter of the law. Truth says you're accountable for your actions. Truth says, okay, you got to work on that. You got to get, I mean, that's, that's what it is. And most of us tend to lean one way or the other. You know, think about how you interact with folks, how you think about folks, how you forgive folks or don't forgive folks. Most of us tend to lean a little more towards one way or the other. Some are a little more grace. Some are a little more truth. All right. Growing up, my dad was grace. 
All right, I know that sometimes isn't the case, but in my family, my dad was grace. All right, he'd let things squeak by. We could usually talk him out of, I mean, usually talk him out of being punished. I mean, it was a big punish. Like, it was something we really did that, you know, you just really needed to, to get a whooping, you know. I mean, that was a different case. But, you know, we could usually let things squeak by. Uh, my mom would be like, you wait till your dad gets home. I'd be like, yep, that's going to be great. I'll wait till my dad gets home because, you know, that's going to be a good day when he gets home. All right, now, mom, mom was a different story. She was all truth. <laughs> all right, she was all truth. She was the right hand to my backside of truth. All right, that's just the way, that's the way we grew up. All right? It didn't mean she didn't love us. didn't mean she didn't care about us. It just meant some situations you need to be disciplined. You need to be shown what's right, what's wrong, and they had consequences. I mean, I, under, I understand that. Now, I probably tend to err a little more to the grace side. And Courtney tends to be a little more of a rule follower. Is that, is that accurate? <laughs> um, Courtney had this thing. So driving, I've asked her to go get my sermon illustration, my next sermon illustration. So when she leaves, don't think she's leaving because she's mad. Okay. Um, so she, had, she hates when people do stuff in traffic they're not supposed to do. Okay. She probably hates when I drive because I'm the one doing things I'm maybe not supposed to do. But she hates it when people... So she and her friends... I don't know how many people are like this. It must have been more than one because she had friends who agreed with her. Um, but her and her friends had this thing where if you honked at somebody three times, it was like, you know, the UPS guy honks twice, you know, just out of courtesy. You honk once really long, you know, you're kind of ticked off. The UPS guys, they always just doot doot. You know, it's like, okay, I'm not mad. I just want you to know I'm here. I just want you to know I'm trying to get through. Um, Courtney had this thing for three honks. And it was, it was kind of a mixture of anger and truth and, you know, black and white. But it, she told me, she goes, they stand for this. The first honk is, I saw that. The second honk is, I know what you're doing. And the third honk is, you're breaking the rules. That was a, those are her words. Those aren't my words. Those are her words. Some of you can attest to that. Um, and let's just say, if she had a horn on her side of the car while I'm driving, there'd be a lot of three honks. But different sermon, different day. Um, but it's, it's interestingly, there's a balance between grace and truth. Everybody on the same page on that? There's a balance between grace. We may err towards one side, we may err towards another side. Now, like churches tend to be the same way. Some churches, like some of the church, like the one I grew up in, all about truth. Now, I'm not talking biblical accuracy truth. All churches should be about that. I'm talking about how that is lived out, how it's acted out, you know, how you come down on folks. Some you know, some of them are like, it's all about what you do wrong. You did that wrong. You did that wrong. Can't believe you did that wrong. Pointed this in your life. Just not a lot of grace. Right? And then some churches are all about grace. Doesn't matter what you do. Do whatever you want. You know, God loves you either way. There's truth in that. But there's never any accountability for anything that happens. No one ever preaches truth in the pulpit. Nobody ever preaches through the hard pieces of scripture as we would call them in our culture, the hard topics in scripture. You just kind of avoid those. You don't want to make anybody mad. Well, it's there. It's scripture. We preach it. Okay, so we, we want to be cognizant of that. So churches tend to be one or the other, but then there's Jesus. What's the last line say? Full of grace, full of truth. 
And that's a, that's a hard thing to wrap your mind around. And you saw it played out in the way he interacted with people, right? He was all grace, welcomed sinners, tax collectors. He ate with them. He had compassion on the crowds when they were hungry and far from home. He welcomed the little children. He healed lepers, the lame, the blind. He even saved the dying thief on the cross who was right next to him, who never would have a chance to actually do anything with his faith, would never be able to live it out, would never be able to demonstrate that he really was repentant. Jesus just looked at him and said, you're going to spend eternity with me. Full of grace. And then there were other times where you could very well clearly see he was full of truth. Now, he was always all the time full of both. But you could just see it played out in different ways. So all the truth, he condemned the religious leaders for being liars, hypocrites. All right? He talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. He called people to take up their cross and follow him daily. He prophesied there was going to be judgment on Israel for unrepentant hearts. All right? He obeyed the law. He set standards, demanded his followers to give up everything. All grace, all truth. So when you read this verse, you say, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace, full of truth. All the time. It wasn't sometimes he did one, sometimes the other. He was completely embodied both all the time, which is mind-blowing. It's absolutely mind-blowing. John says, and this is what John says. He said, listen to me. We were there. We have seen his glory. We watched it. We, I mean, think about it. He's an old man. He's 80s, 90s maybe when he's writing this. And he's, he's seen what, what has happened. All right. He saw Jesus in his grace and his truth. And verse 16 says, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So it says, the law came through Moses. All right, the law was this list of requirements, if you know what the law is, but it's this kind of started with the Ten Commandments. It's this, if you read through Leviticus and read through Deuteronomy, it's this list of requirements for God's people, known as the law. It says the law came through Moses, all right? And, you know, when they wouldn't follow the law, there was this, they had these feasts, they had these system of sacrifices, they would need to sacrifice, there was a day of atonement. There was this structure in place to atone for their sins, all right? And John says, look, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth, it didn't say grace and truth was given from Jesus, it said grace and truth came from Jesus. Like it came with Jesus. It was like, here it is. It's ushered in. Grace and truth came. You're seeing who God is. You're understanding who God is. You're understanding the character of God, the love of God. And that's, it's such a a beautiful passage, all right? Um, A.W. Tozer said, I like A.W. Tozer if you haven't figured that out, but it's all that, he said, all that Moses could do was command righteousness, but Jesus produces righteousness. All that Moses could do was forbid us to sin, but Jesus came to save us from sin. This is not to pit one against the other, but to show one doing what the other could not do. For Moses could not save, but Jesus could. And I love, I love that quote. I love the picture of what that is. And think about it. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Jesus to dwell, for God to dwell with his creation? To walk among creation, seeing the effects of sin, seeing the disease, seeing the dying. You know, you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you'll see what he did when he was here. He loved people, he healed their diseases, he gave to those who were needy, he brought peace and life to those who didn't have it before, he raised people from the dead, he gave the sight to the blind, he gave deaf their hearing. You know, if you read the very last chapter, 
or the very last verse, Jake read it last week, or maybe Jack did, but if you read the very last verse in the book of John, this book we're reading right now, it says there were many other things that Jesus did, were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Let me see your Bible real quick. So there's a lot in this book. Would you agree? There's a lot of miracles in this book. There's a lot of things that Jesus did that we have recorded in this book, the Bible. And that verse says, I suppose if every one of them were written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Think about the love of God shown to creation through Jesus as he is just walking among, I mean, you couldn't even keep up as fast as him healing people and loving people and caring for people. And I mean, the, it's mind-blowing to think about what Jesus did while he was here. And he said, one of my favorite verses, and I probably use it every time I preach, but it's Matthew eleven twenty-eight. He said, come to me, all you who labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke or my teachings upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And he essentially looked at people just like you, and looked at people just like me, and he says, why are you trusting in your wealth? Why are you trusting in your family? Why are you trusting in your, in your works, your good works? From the beginning, it's always been about trusting in me. That's what he tells creation. It's always been about trusting. But verse 10, let's jump back to 10 now. John 1, 10, we're going to wrap up. He says, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. So he came, this foretold Messiah. He comes to his people, he heals them. I mean, all the things he did, the miracles he did, the prophecies that he fulfilled, and they didn't receive him. They're like, no, 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 we're expecting somebody different. We're expecting somebody that abides completely by everything we want them to look like, everything we want them to act like, everything we want, they, you know, we want him to do. They mocked him, they beat him, they scourged him, they spit on him, they hung him on a cross. This creator who's walking among his people and loving his people and caring for his people, right? The most cruel form of assassination known at that time, the cross. They hung him on a cross. But the beauty is, he willingly hung on that cross for you and for me. He willingly hung on that cross to take our sins, my sins, your sins. And so John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He adopted them into his family. We're not, I'm not a Jew. Some of you may have Jewish background. I'm a Gentile, as the Bible puts me, right? I'm not a Jew, I'm a Gentile. But I'm part of God's family. I have been adopted into his family, and he looks at me as an heir to his kingdom. And if you read through Romans 8, Romans 8 says, So, thou, now, there, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body, like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And if you skip down to verse 15 of the same chapter, it says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you receive God's spirit. God dwells in you. 
He says, when he adopted you as his own children, now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And that's why he came. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. Since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Um, I'm going to ask my daughter to come up here. I don't know if she'll come up here on her own. She's a ham. Oh, no, we, we lost it. This is going to go badly. I can feel it. Can you at least say hi? Can we say hi back here? I'm sure that was awkward for her. <laughs> so you can't see this, but here, get up just a second, baby. This is Isabella. And for those of you who don't know, Isabella's adopted. And you could, and I don't know if I'm be able to get through this, but you could never in a million years tell me that this isn't my daughter. In, in a million years. And, and I know because of that, that when God adopts you into his family, he looks at you the exact same way. And I, I want you to understand the grace that God shows us. I want you to understand how badly he would love for you to be a part of his family. To be a child of his. All right, so let me ask you a question since I do that a lot. Um, Are you a part of God's family? Are you a part of God's family? If you're not, my encouragement to you is to not wait any longer. Understand that God came and dwelled among his people. He showed us grace upon grace. And if the book could have continued, it would have said, and grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. All right, we so desperately need grace in our lives. And the creator of the universe is standing here today to tell you that he wants you in his family. All right, in your brokenness, your pain, humility, repentance, and in faith. Without grace, there can be no hope. So my encouragement is, as we close and Jack comes up to lead us in communion, is put your hope in him. All right, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity, the privilege of being a part of your family. We thank you that you came, that you walked among your creation, that you hung on a cross for our sins to take our place. You rose again on the third day, Lord. So we're going to celebrate next week and you are in heaven. Lord, it's so hard to to fathom the humility that it took to step off your throne and step into your creation. But we we get a great picture of who you are and, and what you represent and how much you love by what you did when you were here. And we thank you for that. Lord, we love you and we thank you in your name. Amen.